couple weeks ago, I started teaching about just why we're here as a church and why we exist and what our mission is and just kind of going back over some fundamentals with you. And uh, when God called us here, God gave us actually three scriptures. Um, he said that we're supposed to operate in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does is three things. So in Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, we have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So I felt like God said to us, go there and teach people wisdom and help people understand the scripture and help people understand not to stick their hand on the stove and stuff like that. And that's really practical stuff. It's also high theology. We love, I love teaching about how to do relationships, but I also love teaching about the Trinity and God. And I'm going to do this series that I'm working on. I think it's going to be really good. I keep teasing this, but I am going to do it. I'm going to do a long series about the problem of evil and um, try to unravel that, that mystery a little bit for us. Uh, so we do a bunch of different things like that, and we just believe that, that wisdom changes our lives and that God wants us to understand stuff. How many of you like to understand the Bible? And so that's, you know, why we're here. That's one of the main things that we do, and we want to continue to do that. So I talked about that two weeks ago. The second thing that we felt like God said is in Acts 1.8, it says that you will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses. And so we believe that the other manifestation of the Holy Spirit is power, and that there's a supernatural power from heaven to change people's lives. Now, that's power to heal the sick. It's power to be delivered from sin. It's power to be delivered from fear and anxiety. It's... There, this old song is true. There is power in the blood of Jesus. And I was really encouraged. Zach over here was telling me this testimony that he, he was on the airplane flying to Denver, and he prayed for this gal. She'd fallen off of the back of a truck and hit her head and had, like, brain bleed or something and was stuttering because of this. And anyway, he prayed for her, and she quit stuttering while he's praying and so I believe she's healed. You know, some of that you can't totally tell in the, in the moment. But, but it's awesome that we're stepping out and doing that. And Jacob back here who was running, give Jacob a hand. He, Nathan. And there's our newlywed is back. And hallelujah. We got two Jacobs doing new stuff. So this Jacob's running the sound. And anyway, because Nathan got, had to go get married, you know. And so anyway, congrats to them. But, but uh I don't know what I was talking about. Oh, Jacob. Jacob was praying. He was praying for a gal outside of the, outside of the, uh, the grocery store, and her foot got healed. She had something wrong with her foot, and all the pain left, and she was healed. So I love stuff like that. And I, what I love about it is it's just, you know, we're all called to do that. Anybody can see the sick healed. Anybody can pray for somebody. You just you don't have to be a super duper. Just, just try it, you know, and the more people you pray for, the more you'll see healed. So, you know, don't be discouraged. You know, and, and there's challenges. I mean, my kids were sick all week, but, but I've seen lots and lots of people healed, so I'm going to keep praying for the sick, all right? And I'll pray for my kids, and, and, you know, life goes on. So you just believe in the supernatural power of God. And so that's what I'm going to talk about this week, and then next week we're going to talk about um, Romans 5.5 5 says that the love of God is shed abroad in our, in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. So the Holy Spirit also manifests as love, and we want to build a family of faith. We want to build a community of faith. Molly and I have talked about this a lot, but we, I, just, I just want to encourage you. It's, 
there are a few things in life to me is, is valuable is just being part of a, of a local church that believes God and, and, and I'm not trying to, you know, there's lots of great churches, so whether it's here or somewhere else, but being, being part of, of a group of people that will do life with you is a huge deal. It's a huge deal, and I wouldn't sacrifice that for just about anything. And, and I love going to conferences. How many of you love conferences? You know, you go there, and, and everybody's excited, and there's great worship, and there's great teaching, and the, te- you know, the best teachers come. And, and I love going there, and if I'm going to go to a conference, I, use, I want somebody to zap me. You know, I need somebody to pray pray for me. All right, I need to get, I need to get encouraged and fired up a little bit, okay? But do you understand, I mean, I've, I've, I, do, I do a conference every year. I go and get encouraged, and I go teach there. And when I'm there, I'm, I'm the zapper, so I pray for everybody, and I lay a whole bunch of people out, and it's a big, it's a big wild meeting, right? And so I love all that, but, but then I leave, <laughs> okay? And I've seen lots of people get up off the ground, and they had a miraculous encounter with God, and it's powerful, and I believe in that. We do that stuff here. But what makes them have long-term success really is their relationship with the Word and then their relationship with, with the local church and body of believers and stuff because uh, you just you can't live at a conference. You know, I mean, it's like, it's like Molly and I have never had a fight when we're on vacation. I mean, we went to Jamaica, to this like all-inclusive, like four-star place for our 10th year anniversary, and you just sit. You, it's a miracle. You just sit on the beach, and if you're thirsty, you hold up this flag, and people come over, and they give you food. They get, you don't have to move. They'd probably carry you back to your bed if you wanted them to. And they just say, no problem, because in Jamaica, it's no problem, Josh. And, you know, I didn't have any stress. We didn't fight, you know. But you can't live there. <laughs> it's not real life. <laughs> you gotta come back, and you gotta, you gotta, you know. And so, when there's problems, you gotta have somebody you can go talk to. So anyway, but we're not talking about that. Actually, we're talking about demonstrating, <laughs> demonstrating the power of God. Hey, we'll get to the message. It'll be all right. God is a God of the supernatural. How many of you believe that? One of the unintended side effects post-Reformation, I've told you this before, but at at the Reformation, Luther started disagreeing with a bunch of stuff the Catholic Church said, and the Catholic Church came to Luther and they said, your theology can't be right because we have all these miracles in our church. They said, our our miracles prove our theology. And so you want to back away from that position. Miracles do not prove specific theologies. Miracles prove that Jesus is alive. But somebody can have really terrible doctrine and yet see miracles. I've, I've seen it happen. So there's some people, you want, them to, you want them to pray for you to get healed, but you probably don't want to listen to their doctrine. Because there's different graces, right? There's some people you want to listen to their doctrine, but you probably don't necessarily want them to pray for you to be healed either. All right? <laughs> so um, anyway, 
So, so Luther, though, he didn't, he didn't do that. Instead, what he did was he said, well, I'm not sure you actually had all those miracles. And he began to question whether or not miraculous phenomena were true. And then we had the Enlightenment, and everything became secularized. And we just thought that the highest reality was the physical realm around us. And people sought natural explanations for everything. And to some extent, that was good. Do you know that sometimes you get sick because of a microbe? Are there natural explanations for some things? Absolutely. But are there also spiritual explanations for some things? Yeah. And so in our zeal to figure out that, that there are microbes and stuff, we, we totally cast aside the supernatural realm and we just, we just totally embrace this physical realm. And for a long time, that was really what was wrong with a lot of Western thought, in, in my opinion. And you've probably heard people say, well, it's harder to get people healed in America than in Africa or something like that. Some of that was true to an extent because in, in America and other Western nations, we had a very uh, humanistic or, or secularized view of life. And we just denied that the spirit realm existed. In other countries, they believed in the spirit realm. It was all around them, so it was easier. But I'm really encouraged. That is, I think, by and large, changing in, in America. It's even if you study what's going on in medicine and stuff... Largely, doctors are acknowledging that you can't just write a pill for everything and make everything go away. Now, I mean, that, that wasn't a, a terrible assumption because what happened was we discovered penicillin. And penicillin's like a gift from God. I mean, antibiotics have saved however many millions of people. So there's nothing wrong with any of that. But you start to get this mentality, well, look, there was a pill that magically made that go away. Maybe there's a pill for everything. And then we had this kind of just society where we were just giving everybody pills every five seconds, and now we've realized, well, that's probably not healthy. We probably ought to deal with, with all the parts of, of humanity, right? Not just your body. And, and so uh, even secular medicine has, has realized that. And so I think we're acknowledging more and more the spirit realm in America. So I'm really encouraged by that. It's folly to deny that there are natural explanations for certain things, but it's also folly to ignore the unseen realm. Okay, look at Mark 9, verse 23. The supernatural realm, or we could say heaven, we're meant to think from that realm. That means you're meant to think with an awareness of the unlimited potential that exists because there's the power of God living within you. Jesus said it this way. He said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. Everybody say this with me. All things are possible if I can believe. How many of you believe that? <laughs> okay. What that means is I'm required to shift the way that I think because God now lives on the inside of me and I have access to this supernatural realm that can come and superimpose itself over the natural realm and things that are not possible can become possible as I will trust and believe Jesus. The continual pull then of the Christian life is to push back the boundaries of what you think is possible. Andrew Womack has a great series called Don't Limit God, and it's just about 
changing how you think and quit, quit believing small. Now, I think the trouble is that what does it mean to believe? Because he says all things are possible if you'll just believe, and then we think, well, I believe, and so, but, but not all things are possible for me. Believing something in this context, it means far more than just just mentally agreeing to the fact that it's true. James says that if you believe something, he says, faith without works is dead. Now, what he means by that is not that you have to go up and try to work up faith. What he means is real faith, if you really believe something, it motivates you to action. If it does not inform my day-to-day decision-making, I don't really believe it. Now, that's not like a criticism, and it's not something we need to beat ourselves up about, but we need to be real about what it means to to believe something deeply in our hearts. You know that you, you believe that you're saved and on your way to heaven if you don't try to get saved and on your way to heaven every day. So you can say to me, yeah, I believe Jesus died for all my sins, but if if you just continually have anxiety about whether or not you're going to heaven, you don't really believe that Jesus died for you and forgave you of all your sins. Is that too simple? So now, what's what's that mean? Should I should I feel condemned and beat myself up? No. But, but it means that I need to have, a, you know, reality and understand what, what faith looks like. It, faith shapes how I live. And it, it always starts with mental agreement, but it's got to move past that downward into, into faith. So, for example, I used to have theology for, for a long time, since I was a kid. And I read some of Kenneth Hagin's book, books. I believed that God wanted to heal people. And I believed that it was possible in my head. But I didn't believe it enough to act on it. And so I didn't see anybody healed except for one person. And that person I didn't even actually pray for. I just told him that God healed people, and then he believed God, and he got healed. (laughs) (laughs) And so, uh, but once I started believing it in my heart, Uh, I started praying for people, and I didn't see everybody healed, and I still don't see everybody healed, but I see a lot more consistency than when I didn't believe. Okay? So, a big part of the Christian life is learning not to limit God in our small thinking. It's learning to believe stuff, to believe that anything's possible. How many of you have something that you're believing for? Should be everybody. How many of you have something big that you're believing for? All right? So we got to believe big. You got to have a big vision. Right? Jesus died too, you know, he paid too high of a price for us to think small. But I've been I've been around the block a few times and so I'm going to try to pastor you here a little bit because there's a difference between believing big and having what Han Solo would call delusions of grandeur. Some of you aren't Star Wars fans, but, <laughs> but there, there is, there's, a, there's a difference. Because what sometimes happens, because I love preaching the message, dream big, go after your dreams. I mean, that's one of my, 
my favorite things to teach. But I've been in, and that's like an apostolic message, and so I've been in really apostolic environments, and, and I went to Karis Bible College, and I'm out there, and, and there's lots of people out there, and lots of them have really big dreams. And I'm all into it. I'm for it. Okay? But for some of them, it doesn't seem like they're making any progress or it's not ever coming to pass. And I want to talk about, you know, why that is and, and how we can make sure we're not just in sort of a fantasy land. So I read this article by a, a billionaire, and he said, you want to be a dreamer and a hyper-realist. I think he's right. You want to dream big, but you also want to be really real with yourself about the steps it's going to take to get there. Okay? So, uh, what's the difference? How can you tell, how can you tell if, you're, if you're dreaming big and you're dreaming a God dream or you're just in some sort of fantasy land that's not going not to come to pass? Because, can we just be real? Both exist, Right? We've, we've known people that dream big and accomplish something, and then we've probably known people that, that they say they're going to go do something, but it doesn't manifest. And so I, I like to, as a leader, I like to not ever be jaded. So if you tell me you're going after a dream, I'm going to believe with you, and we're gonna, we'll go after it, okay? But I, I need you to also understand that there's some, there's some steps you have to take to get there. And too many people, a lot of times, are just sort of waiting there for, well, I'll explain in a minute, okay? So what's, there's three ways you can tell. Number one, real vision, real dreams, take time to grow. What do I mean by that? I mean, I mean believing, it's, it's hard to just believe to own a multi-billion dollar business if you've never owned a $100,000 business. It's hard to believe to pastor a thousand-member church until you pastored a hundred-member church. Now, God can paint a vision on your heart that, you're, that you got this big vision. But you've got to commit yourself to be willing to, to step back and take steps to get there. Because as much as we might say, well, I believe I can do this, you might not really believe it. Okay, because, because Abraham, so Abraham was talking to God, right? And, 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 and Abraham had this idea that he didn't want Sodom and Gomorrah to be destroyed unrighteously. And so God said, I'm going to go down there and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And, God, and Abraham says, well, what if there's 50 righteous people? Will you, will you destroy it? And God's like, no. And then he says, well, what if there's... 45, then he goes to 40, and he gets all the way down to 10. Why didn't he just start with 10? Because it's harder to believe for. See, I think, I think sometimes we have a misconception about faith, and, and you're like, well, if I was Abraham, I would have just said, well, God, don't do it for one person. Well, Abraham, he didn't have the Holy Spirit living in you and stuff. He, he had to grow in his relationship with the Lord to where he felt comfortable believing for that. There was a growth process. So he's, he, he says 50, and he gets a yes, and that builds his faith. 
And then he asked for 45. And that builds his faith. And then he asked for 40, and he, he gets down to 10, which is really good. But he, he went through this process. Does, does that make sense? So, so the way, one of the ways that I, I know I'm not in some sort of just, just fantasy land is that I'm willing to give my heart time to grow into the belief. God may give you a big vision of, of where you're headed in 10 to 20 years, but if you're so fixated on that and you're unwilling to do the small things that lead there, then you are in a fantasy. Because God's not going to just magically drop a multi-billion dollar business on you. He may want you to do that. He may want you to have a giant international ministry. But he takes us through processes so that when we're there, we're, we're, the character has been developed for us to deal with it. If we try to circumvent the process, we won't... The, the blessing will kill us. You know, processes are hard. I don't like processes. <laughs> I like going to Chick-fil-A. I can just say, give me some chicken nuggets, and they're there, and they taste amazing. But, you know, that's, that's fast food. You can't have a diet of that forever. The best diet's the stuff it takes an hour to cook, and then, you know, and... And then you got to clean up the mess. And, but that's healthy. Anything that, anything that matters takes time and a process. So you just, on the back of your notes, you, you believe for smaller goals on the way, and then you take concrete steps towards them. So, you know, when we were planting this church, we, we had this vision of, of doing it. You know, but it's not going to magically appear. So we had to go and meet with people, and we had to say, well, we're going to plant this church. And we had Josh and Nicole over for dinner, and Nicole hardly knew us from Adam. And we're, we're like, you guys should come move <laughs> to Colorado. And thank God, God said, yeah, do that. And so they came, you know, but we had to go file paperwork. I had to fill out this giant form. 1023, I had to read an IRS document. I don't know nothing about reading an IRS document. <laughs> you know, but there's processes, and you just go through it. So a vision without a plan and the willingness to act on it will not produce the, the future that you want. So I'm all for dreaming big, but you, you, then you need to come up with a plan, and then you need to take concrete steps towards it. Okay, now look at Romans chapter 5. Another way you can tell if, you ha if you're in a, a real vision from the Lord, a real dream from the Lord, is if it survives the difficulty. So Romans 5, 5 says, actually let's start at, let's start at uh, verse 2. It says, by whom, by Jesus, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So he says, we have access by faith into the grace of God and we're living there every day. So he's saying, if you understand that everything in the kingdom is paid for, that God loves you, and he wants you to have your dreams come true, that gives you hope that you'll see the glory of God. What's the glory of God? It's, 
It's God doing something on your behalf. All right? So I always, when I teach this, I always I've used this example, so I've used it before, but I'll use it again. So when you hear a promise from God, it produces hope. So years ago, God began to give me revelation about Philippians 4.19, which says God will supply all of your needs. Everybody say, God will supply, God supply all of my needs, of my needs. According, to his riches and glory. according to his riches and glory. Okay, so that, that is a promise, and it paints hope on my heart. Everybody feel hope? Think about Okay, so it paints a picture, right, of me being financially provided for, emotionally provided for, taken care of, and so we get excited. But then what happens? Verse 3, and not only, not only that, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulations work patience. So no sooner did I get this revelation that God wanted me to ha you know, have all my needs taken care of, no sooner did I get this, but the principal called me into his office. And you know it's bad when you're a kid and the principal calls you, but it's real bad when you're an adult. And so he called me into his office and he said, now there is a financial crisis and nobody has any money and so we have to, we have to not renew your contract because you're low man on the totem pole. All right, so now I have this promise from God that's painting a picture of my future and yet I've got this terrible tribulation. We just bought a house. Molly's in school. I mean, I was making a teacher. We didn't have no money. <laughs> and, and it's like, well, this isn't good. You know, what was, that, what, was it, what was that word about, you know? Is that real life? I mean, no sooner do you get a revelation, but the devil comes to test it. And he says, he says, but when you understand this process, you can actually rejoice when the tribulation comes. Now, now, now listen, don't rejoice about the tribulation. Don't be like, well, thank God, God got me fired. Well, no. God didn't cause the economic downturn, okay? People, people overbought the housing market and, and anyway. So, so I was, you know, I was non-renewed. But he says, he says, you can rejoice, and you know that tribulation works patience. <laughs> what that means is that the problem sometimes doesn't go away in five minutes. So what I did is I knew, I knew some of this. I didn't know everything I know now, but... But I had this word from God that God wanted. So I, I said, the first report's not the last report. God's going to provide for us. We're going to be all right. And I really felt, I had a lot of peace about it. But it was not resolved overnight. Yeah. And I went and interviewed different places. And, and I had this one interview, and it didn't go very good. And I thought, oh, man, this is, anyway. And I was looking at the mortgage payment, and I was thinking, boy, this is stressful. And, um, but anyway... After a while, I kept believing God, and then it says, your patience, which is just when you keep believing God over a long period of time, your patience produces experience. What's experience? It's, it's life. It's your history with God. You, 
you know, you can't undervalue your history with the Lord. And he says, you'll have an experience. So I had an experience where after a period of time, enough people retired, and then I, I got a better job at a better school. Hallelujah. So did God provide all my needs? He did. Was there a challenge in between? Absolutely. But here's the thing. That experience produces hope. So here's the cycle. There's hope, but then there's a challenge, but then you keep believing God, and then you have a spiritual high, and then you end up back at hope. But the hope is different the second time around because the hope now exists on the backside of the tribulation. It's the hope that is, the, that, that is it's an earned hope. Because you can look back at your history with God and you can say, look, God helped me. God broke in. God brought breakthrough into my situation. And so now if I face financial crises again, I have a history with the Lord that proves I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Amen. And so this whole process, the backside hope, that's the hope that has survived the tribulation. And that hope, it says, never makes ashamed. There is a hope that makes ashamed. What's that? That's the first time you hear the gospel and you get real excited and you run out and you try to believe God and you fall flat on your face. Anybody ever done that? Okay, so don't feel bad about it. We've all done it. That hope can make ashamed. But after you fall flat on your face and then you get back up and you prove the faithfulness of God and then you come back to hope, that hope will never make you ashamed because it's the hope on the backside of the tribulation. All right, and then lastly, you can tell real vision if you have people around you that are, that are believing big with you. And so you shouldn't have an inner circle just full of yes men. You know, you need some people that'll be like, look, I don't know if you should go that direction or, or whatever, but they should be full of, full of people that will believe in you and celebrate you. They must love you enough to correct you, but do so in a way that doesn't make you lose confidence in yourself. So what's the point? The point is, as a church, we want to believe for the supernatural. Anything's possible if you can believe it. But we've got to have a clear picture of what belief looks like. And one of the biggest things that wars against faith and acting on what God has said. So how many of you know that God will tell you to do something and then, and then you feel afraid to do it? <laughs> All right. So that's why Jesus said in Mark 5, 36, he said, fear not, only believe, or believe only in one translation. So the reason he says only believe is that fear and faith are, are like opposites. They don't really exist in the same realm. And so if you're afraid, you're, you're probably outside of faith, but you want to let go of the fear and believe God. So how do you get rid of the fear? Look at 1 John 4.18. We'll bring it to a close here pretty quickly. 1 John 4.18 says, Perfect love casts out fear. He that fears is not made perfect in love. Okay. I always thought about this, that it meant that I needed God to love me in some sort of 
magical, perfect way, and then that would make me reach Christian nirvana where I never felt fear again. How many of you'd like that? I mean, you know, it'd be all right with me if I just never felt any fear again. But I don't think that's what this is saying. If you go back to the original language and stuff and you look at the word perfect, it's talking about maturing. It says, he who fears has not been perfected. He's not been matured or grown up in love. So what it's suggesting is not that there's just some magical occurrence that, that wipes away your fears. It's talking about this process where we have hope and we go through a difficult time, but God proves himself faithful, and then we come back to a place of hope. And in that process, we mature and we grow up and we realize more and more that God loves us. And the more mature your revelation of the love of God is, the less you'll fear or the less you'll be controlled by fear. So I still fear things, but I really, I, I can be honest with you, most, most of my decisions I, I really don't feel like are driven by fear. It's not that I'm never afraid, but I've, I've learned that God loves me and I can reach into that place of love and I can do difficult things that are, that are scary as I've matured in, in love. So one way to, to believe God and believe for bigger is to get a greater revelation of the fact that God loves you. Galatians 5, 6 says, faith works by love. The more you know God loves you, the more your faith will work. But here's the other side of it that I didn't think about for a long time. You can also drive out fear as you mature in love for other people. I was at the zoo with my family on Friday, and we went to the the sea lions you've seen this and the sea lions do all these tricks it's pretty cool so there's a lady there like leaning against the rail she had this six month old ish baby holding her with one hand like this dangling her legs over this pool of water and you know and she's talking on the cell phone and dangling this baby and I tell you that made me all kinds of nervous once you have some babies, I mean, it really shifts. You know, I'm looking, I'm watching the baby. And all I could think about was, if she drops that baby, I'm going to be in that water before anybody can say boo. No question. And, you know, I don't like, I don't need to be by a sea lion. It's probably gross in that water. They said they'll probably bite you. They said don't go over there because they'll bite, you know. And I don't, I'm not. I'm scared of that stuff, to be honest. But my love for that baby, you get this? I don't even know the baby, but, but my value for the baby would cause me to overcome my fear and get in the water. If it was my own kid, I mean, I mean there wouldn't be hesitation anyway, but I mean, imagine if it was your own. You don't even think about it, right? How many of you have done something really brave for your own kid? Of course you have. Why? Because your love for other people will cause you to overcome your fear. Not that you'll never be afraid, but if you, if you grow in your love for those around you, you'll conquer those fears and you'll go forward. This is the way that I've grown in, in just doing evangelism because evangelism can be scary because you're worried about 
being rejected or whatever, but, but if you start to think about how much God loves that other person and how that they might be on their way to hell and they don't know Jesus and, and they may never have heard Jesus and about Jesus and you start to think about that stuff and you, you, you can overcome your fear out of your love for that person. Does that make sense? All right. This message was maybe a little all over the place, but I had, I had some different things in my heart that I wanted to share with you. So anyway, let's all stand up. I'm going to pray for everybody.